When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. my pleasure to welcome you to the Clark Howard Show, where our mission is to serve you and empower you so you make better financial decisions in your life. Yesterday, Michael in Montana, I always find this kind of embarrassing, asked me how I got to where I am in life, what's my backstory, how did I end up doing what I do today, and I'm going to share that story with you on the podcast, and later you know, we're pinched with our budgets all over the place. And one of the places you can have the greatest impact, particularly as a family, is to rip that current cell phone plan apart that you have and get those costs down. I want to talk about who we found is the best combination of a much lower price and decent customer service for you to look at. And why do I get embarrassed talking about my story? I've always been told to be quiet about yourself and your accomplishments, to walk humbly. And at the same time, Krista has always said, it's important that you share your story regularly with people because it is unusual and there are things in it that people can learn from. And so I'm going to give you the short version of it what Krista's been after me to write a book about for uh, autobiography for, I don't know, 20 years, she's been trying to get me to do it. And I just feel funny doing it. I feel funny talking about my life right now too, but here we go. So I grew up in a very easy life. I grew up in uh, what seemed like a privileged household and life was really nice. And I went off to college. I I finished high school at 17, went off to college. And everything was like easy street. I didn't have to have student loans, nothing like that. And then out of the blue, I'm home for Thanksgiving. And there's just this terrible atmosphere in the house. Back then, You know, there were obviously no cell phones. You didn't make a long-distance call unless somebody had died. It was a very different era where unless you wrote a letter to somebody, you just didn't know what was going on. Well, teenager, you think I was writing letters to my parents? No. So I get home for Thanksgiving, and everything's really gloomy, ultra-serious and all that. We're at dinner, and then after dinner... My dad asked me to stay at the table, and I'm like, okay, here it comes. This is it. My dad's dying of something, and now he's going to tell me. So he says, I have terrible news for you, sure enough. And he says, I lost my job. And I start smiling ear to ear. I'm like, he's like, what are you so happy about? I said, well, I thought you were going to tell me you were dying. And he laughed. And I guess it helped him too. 
because he realized there were things much worse than losing your job. And then we were talking, he said, uh, you know, I don't know there's money for you to go back to college in January, which is his way of saying, I know there's no money for you to go back to college in January. And I was like shocked because my parents had always lived this really fancy life. And I assumed they had tons of money. And all of a sudden, he's telling me he doesn't know if I can go back to college. I was just stunned because what became clear over time was my parents had always spent whatever they had and had never been savers. And I was like, wow, I had no clue. And things that happen to you as a teenager can have lifelong impact, either positive or negative. And for me... What happened at that moment turned out to be, in my case, one of the best things that ever happened to me in my life and changed the trajectory of my whole life. Now, as for my mom and dad, it took them about three years, but they got solidly back on their feet and they were fine. But the change had already taken place in me. I registered for the next semester as a night student and scrambled and got a job. And I worked my way through the rest of undergraduate school. Now, let me tell you something. When I was doing this, it was a whole different game. Even when you inflation adjust, when I tell you what my tuition was, it was $2,400 a year. And even inflation adjusted, I guess, today's dollars, that would be like uh, maybe $8,000 a year. I mean, nothing compared to what people pay today. So I was able to get a full-time job, work during the day, make enough money at that job to pay for tuition and go to college at night. I went year-round, so I was able to graduate in three years instead of four, which lowered my cost of living and all that, and got out of undergraduate school. I worked, I should tell you, I, I was going to school in D.C., and I was a civilian employee for a while with the Air Force, during the Vietnam War. And then I worked for HUD, the Department of Housing and Urban Development, till I finished undergraduate school. And then I got a job with IBM as a bill collector, collected from accounts that hadn't paid for their IBM equipment. And what was great about that was IBM paid for my grad school tuition. As long as I got a B or better, got the best grades I ever got in my life in grad school. Because if I didn't get a good grade, I wasn't going to get reimbursed. But by the time I finished graduate school, I already had three years of full-time work experience. And I had learned so much that it was like I was way, way about life. I was way ahead of the people who were my contemporaries, my friends, who I'd gone to school with that were going the traditional way and were trying to figure out what they were going to do for jobs. I mean, I think that that was such a fantastic event. And then the other thing that happened was people overreact to uh, unusual circumstances. And I resolved that when I finished graduate school and got my first job after graduate school, that I was going to live on every other paycheck. I mean, in school, you get used to getting by without a lot. And so why was it suddenly I needed to have lifestyle creep? So I started saving every other paycheck, had um, my 
IRA, I forget what you could put in an IRA at that point. It may have been 300 bucks or whatever it was, whatever the limit was. And I was doing that and I was living a very frugal life. And it allowed me when I was 25 to open my own business with all the money I'd saved. And I put it at risk in my own business. What I did was um, I opened a travel agency when I was 25 because the airline industry had been completely regulated by the government up to that point. And so the federal government decided who could fly where, how many seats they could have on their plane, what time of day they could fly, how many times a day or week they could fly the route, every price of every ticket, and it was stifling. So the airline industry in the United States was teensy, teensy, tiny. And uh, President Carter at the time and a guy named Alfred Kahn came up with this plan to deregulate transportation in the United States. So they deregulated the trains, the trucks, and the planes and set up the United States at a time that was pretty negative with another time of really bad inflation and dislocation. They set up America for enormous economic growth from deregulating those three sectors of the economy. And I thought, this area is going to go crazy once the free market, because I've always been such a big-time free marketeer. So I go into this business, and I was like a duck to water, and it just worked. And I opened one office, then another, then another, then another, then another. Ended up with five travel agencies. And then I was secret shopped by some guys who had broken away from a national chain. They wanted to buy my company. And we went through, it wasn't for sale, which is always a great time to sell. And we made a deal. And I remember being at the lawyers the last time before we signed the contract. And I said, you know, we've talked about everything except what my role is going to be with the company after you own it. And the two guys look at each other and one of them looks back at me and says, well, we want you to leave. And I was so hurt. It never occurred to me I was being kicked out the door. But I took my money. And I retired temporarily, thought it was going to be permanent, and moved to the beach, east coast of Florida. And that would have been it. But I had, after a few years, had some family circumstances. I was 31, by the way, when I retired. And eventually, I came back to my birth home, which was Atlanta, where I'd built that business. And, well... I was not really doing anything. I was doing biathlon stuff. I was biking 20 miles a day and swimming two miles every day. And I was fit like I've never been in my life before or since. And I got a call out of nowhere from a radio station that had a travel show on and asked me to come on and talk about travel. And I did a guest appearance about travel and then they had me back for another one and then another one and then they said how'd you like to talk about travel every Sunday it's like well I, I love it and I love to run my mouth so I started doing that and uh, started hosting this travel show and then a year later they asked me if I'd like to host a show about money because what I've not talked about is and is just a layer of the onion is all the other things I had already done investing in foreclosed real estate, buying investment properties that were foreclosures, making money from them, not to buy and turn, but to buy and own, and investing in the stock market and all these things I was doing. And so I started doing a show about money 
and it morphed over the years to where I was really working, became what later became a syndicated radio show, tired to do TV, newspaper column. I've done 10 books. I've been privileged to have three be on the New York Times bestseller list. One made it to number one. Did the syndicated show till a year and a half ago when I decided what I really wanted to do was a podcast because I wanted people, I love streaming video you watch when you want to. I was like, podcast, you listen when you want to. It's completely portable. And so I've been doing all this stuff all these years because for me, it's all been about fun and about teaching and about empowering, which is something I love to do. Now, interestingly enough, in 1997, we started our first, it wasn't even a full website. It was like a static web page. And today, going with where people's eyes and ears are, we have these two websites, Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com, that have grown and grown and grown and morphed and changed over the years so that you have the information. And so the thing for me is I work because I want to. And that's the greatest thing. You know, a lot of times people misunderstand when I talk about the importance of living on less than what you make. And there was all that stuff five years ago about the FIRE movement, you know, financial independence, retire early. My thing was not about working your tail off till you're 40-something to then just not do anything the rest of your life. My thing is about living on less than what you make so that you have choices about what you do, when you do, and how you do. That work should not be something that you're, I owe, I owe, I owe, so off to work I go. Work should be something that you do because you enjoy it. And I know that sounds naive because so many of us are just trying to get by with our bills. And that's why it's all about setting your mindset in a way that you're always saving money first and that you create that financial independence, that security, so you then can do more of what you love rather than what you feel like you have to being in a grind because you got the bills to pay. So ultimately, what is it that motivates me? What is it that drives me? What drives me is getting that message to you that this is not work for me doing what I'm doing now. It's a job, right? But it doesn't feel like a job. It doesn't feel like work. And I love the opportunity to, to I'll see something. And I'll be like, gosh, that would be great for someone to know. Be great if you knew that you could do blah, blah, blah. So that's what it's about for me. It's about imparting the knowledge, giving you the power so that if you choose to, you have more control over your life. And that's why I keep doing what I'm doing all these years later, 36 years after I retired the first time. Here I am doing this. And I'll do it till either mentally or physically I don't have the capability or I don't enjoy it anymore. That is the great privilege of being in a position where you're financially independent. So maybe you are somebody who wants to sacrifice everything 
to be able to bag work by your 40th birthday and never, ever, ever have to work anywhere ever again. But I think for most people, the whole purpose of the FI, the financial independence, is to be able to make the choices you want to and that work becomes more like a hobby instead of a have to. And Krista, you did it to me again. You made me tell the story. Well, and you left so much out about all the service. You, you didn't, you weren't really retired. You started an alternative school. I mean, you've done so many different things. You were, there are so many layers to the onion, but I think it is impressive and inspirational. But so. see, you've, you've been after me to write this book forever. And my thing is if I wrote the book, it would be like everything else I do. It would be to help people who have insomnia to fall asleep <laughs> more easily. <laughs> I just don't find myself that interesting, but. Well, anyway. I think it's a great story, and I think it's very inspirational. So, you know, if people knew your story. Oh, yeah. And every, no, I mean, you do so much, too. But coming up ahead, I do have an assignment for you, and we're going to talk it through with you and answer your questions as well about you attacking one of those monthly bills that eats up your wallet and going to get eaten up more moving forward if you are a prisoner of Verizon or AT&T. So I've been picking on AT&T and Verizon a lot recently, and they're fine companies. They provide very reliable service. They've just been uh, a little greedy lately, hiding behind the inflation we're having in the economy and coming up with all kinds of new junk fees or higher rates where historically with cell phone providers, once you're in a rate plan, you're in that rate plan and they don't raise your rates because the truth, and this is an absolute fact, the cost of providing service to people for the cell phone carriers is going down, 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 down. So AT&T and Verizon raising rates right now is really cynical. And so this actually could be doing you a favor because a lot of people have been with AT&T or Verizon for even a generation, paying extremely high rates for cell phone service at a time that prices have been, the costs have been getting lower and there are so many competitors offering lower prices. So I'm not going with a risk averse thing by saying, hey, you should go check out T-Mobile and see how much cheaper they are than AT&T or Verizon. Not doing that. I want to go out there on a ledge and get myself into a position where you might later say, I can't believe I listened to Clark on this. So I'm going out on that ledge. But I want to talk about Mint Mobile, M-I-N-T Mobile. Mint Mobile has been a very aggressive player offering service that people seem happy with, with actual uh, decent customer service generally, which has been one of the big knocks with the off-brand cell phone players. Mint Mobile runs on T-Mobile's network. You got to make sure T-Mobile's network works where you are. But they offer really inexpensive plans. And if you hate it, go back to the overpriced company you're with. But if you like it, you stay and you save. And then if you're on a family plan, Mint Mobile offers 
a very creative family plan offering that is much more flexible than you're used to with T-Mobile, AT&T, or Verizon in that it's not one size fits all. You think about how the big carriers do it, where everything's about unlimited data, when a lot of people don't need unlimited data. And so the heaviest user in a family plan and the lightest user in the family plan are both paying the same thing. Well, Mint Mobile did something where a family plan is two, three, or four people. And each person picks the plan they need. So if you need unlimited data, you go on that. If you need only a small amount of data, four gigs a month, you do that. If you need more data than that, but not unlimited, you do that. And so your bill is typically between 15 and 30 a month, forgetting the first 90-day period of the 15 a month on all plans. They do something else too. You pay for your plan in 90-day cycles. So if you're on a family plan. So they're not after you every month, hey, where's our $15? Or where's our $30? You just pay them for the three months. And so it's a very, very simplified way to do business. If you're one individual, you get the lowest rates from them buying a year up front. But I wouldn't do that. I'd do the 90-day trial period. And Mint Mobile is the complete opposite side of what you talk about with ultra-risk-averse people paying ultra-ultra-high prices with Verizon or AT&T. I mean, Mint Mobile's the complete opposite side of this, the other bookend. And there are a lot of choices in between, including, as I've mentioned in the past, from the major cell phone carriers, all offering their own in-house discount brands so they don't lose people to other people like Mint Mobile. And so it gets you half a loaf. You get a lower price, but you're still within their family umbrella. All this is just a holding pattern till the new fourth cell phone provider in the country gets its network built and is a viable competitor, which is going to happen about next summer. It's about a year from now that the Dish Network people will have figured it out, built out their network, and they will become an unbelievably aggressive player. And I think AT&T and Verizon are trying to uh, make money while making the money's good right now with three competitors instead of four. And the Dish Network people are going to be by far the most aggressive network player in the market. But in the meantime, we have three players instead of four, and that's left room in the marketplace for the brand names to charge more. It's up to you if you just suck it up and pay more or you say, wait a minute, you're really taking advantage of me. I'm going to go somewhere cheaper and better. And in my mind, the best of those choices that makes the biggest impact on your wallet is Mint Mobile. But you may find that it's not good for you or there's something else that works better for you. I just don't want you to be a sitting duck overpaying at a time that every dollar is so much more precious right now because of inflation. We have our cell phone guide at Clark.com. 
where we've reviewed so many of these different choices and lay them out for you. Who's on Verizon's network? Who's on AT&T's network? Who's on T-Mobile's network? And you can see what your options are. Okay, let's go to some questions. This is from Brent. Should I switch from Vanguard to Schwab? You haven't addressed Vanguard since they decided not to take phone calls anymore from customers. Since then, they've ruined the app for making contributions to a SEP IRA or for seeing clearly whether you've had losses or gains recently. These actions seem to me to be hostile towards the customer. I would love your opinion. Vanguard is driving me crazy right now because... They're pulling in money faster than any other financial house in the world. They're the second largest financial house in the world now. They're growing faster than anybody else. And last year, they brought in more money than I think every other financial house in the world. So they're tone deaf right now. And their customer service has significantly deteriorated at Vanguard. And their attitude needs an adjustment. So, yeah, Vanguard is something that people have a love-hate relationship with right now. And some people have more hate than love towards Vanguard. So that leaves the other two major discounters, Schwab and Fidelity. And I think both of them are much more customer-oriented, much more service-oriented than Vanguard is right now. Vanguard, to me, is the pizza rule. It was said by a guy named Bethune, who used to run Continental Airlines. He said, you can always make a pizza cheap enough that no one will ever want to buy it. And I kind of have this feeling right now that Vanguard is making itself that pizza, making (laughs) the ingredients more and more undesirable and more and more inedible. And they're a very inward organization. They're in a semi-rural area of Pennsylvania. Their campus is a very insular campus. And I feel like there's too much groupthink at Vanguard right now. So Brent, uh, I say this with all the love in the world because I love Vanguard. I love what they do. Uh, But I'm a little sore at Vanguard right now for failing to really respect its customers. It's a co-op. It's kind of like a credit union. And they are dissing their own owners. Do you think you're just going to leave it up to him whether he should switch? Yeah, I'm not going to tell him to switch. I just, I, I want to acknowledge mm-hmm. that Vanguard has an attitude problem right now. And I don't know what it will take. Uh, I guess when people stop putting money in there, they'll say, right. huh, what happened? Mm-hmm. What happened? We, I mean, we own the world and now all of a sudden... People don't love us so much. Wonder why that happened. Maybe we should do a focus group. Oh, we don't answer your calls? That made you unhappy? (laughs) We don't allow you to do this on the app? That made you unhappy? By the way, their app, I hate to say this, their app is so bad that it looks like something that a really bright third grader (laughs) did as an elementary school project. It is so lame. So yes, there are real problems at this really great organization, and they need to address them. This is from Kenneth in Texas. I'm doing gig work this summer by using my car and working as a courier. Think DoorDash, Uber Eats, Shipt, etc. Some of these delivery companies don't offer a paycheck deposit by ACH to my checking account. Instead, they want to issue me a piece of junk business debit card and deposit my payments onto it. 
I know from listening to you that these business credit cards offer me very little protection from potential financial fraud. As a gig worker forced to accept one of these cards, what can I do to minimize my potential liability and maximize my financial protection? So thank you for this question. So the companies, Kenneth, are doing this because it's cheaper for them to issue you one of these payment cards instead of issuing you an ACH, a direct deposit payment. Generally, with these payment cards, when you get one, you can do an online registration, and that will give you additional protection in the event your card is lost or stolen. And it's not going to help you if somebody somehow is able to compromise your number. That's a whole different thing with these payment cards. But at the very least, the best protection you have is when you get these cards, to use them for normal expenses and not hold on to the cards. Don't hold them as like a savings account because that's where the danger comes. A payment card doesn't get better unused with time. And from Linda in New York, I recently went to a walk-in clinic due to a health concern. As a condition of treatment, I was required to provide the clinic with permanent access to my credit card information, including the security code. My credit is frozen, so I'm not freaked out, but a bit queasy. Is this a new trend at urgent care clinics, and am I right to be alarmed? So Linda, this is one of those things that it's kind of abusive of you to require that you give permanent access to using your credit card with all the information, including your code on it. In person, in theory, someone's not supposed to have your code. The code is designed for online sales. You present that card at the walk-in clinic in person, and they're supposed to swipe your card, card present, for payment there. Now, here's the other side of that story. A lot of people will go to a walk-in clinic, urgent care, or something like that, and They'll bill you and they'll think they're good, that they'll have all their money. And then later insurance will say, well, we're not paying for this. Or we're not paying for that. And then you've vanished into the night and they can't ever seem to get that money. So there are the two sides to this with the credit card. One, that what they're doing is something that should make you queasy. The second is their problem is, They don't know if they'll ever get the money from you once you walk out the door. So this is one that they're not right to do it, but they have to do something to protect themselves. And I don't know the best way for them to do it. I'm glad your credit's frozen. If they ever did put through a charge where card's not present and they charge you for something, there's no signature and you don't like the charge, you dispute the charge, you have full dispute rights like you would otherwise. But it is really nerve-wracking when somebody has that kind of information. And if they get hacked into, then a crook has your credit card number, expiration date, they got your billing zip code, they got your three-digit code, unless it's American Express, they got the four-digit code. There's a lot not to like about them having all that information there. I want to thank you so much for listening to this episode of our podcast. And don't forget, we're there serving you at Clark.com around the clock to help you with that wallet to build a solid financial future for yourself. And to stretch that wallet, check out ClarkDeals.com with deals that we believe are great for you that don't waste your time.